This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WTDR. I'm Tony Epstein. It's the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together. Lying on your back in the grass, you can't see a thing except for the clear blue sky, a few cotton wool clouds. and higher in the great dome of the sky, filling it with sound. Higher and higher, filling it with sound. Filling it with sound. They sound quite mad, don't they? This is Chuck D. This is Flavor Flav, boy. And you're in tune to 91.1 FM, WGDR. Plainfield. We're going to change the system. Think about it. Right now. And that's the way it was. was, was. And that's the way it is. And it's always changing and it's always the same. How's that for psychedelic? We are all seekers after truth. This, 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 this is a special magic. There's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to fear. I am a traveler. A wanderer. It's always changing and it is always the same. The world is listening. Good morning. Today, my guests on the show are John Root and Emily Payton who are collaborating on a new paradigm of politics and economics 
for social and community empowerment. John Root is a visionary social architect and the founder of Common Good Finance, a nonprofit, non-bank financial institution for social change and community empowerment. Emily Payton was the Liberty Union candidate for governor. John Root and Emily Payton, welcome back. Thank you, Tonio. Yeah, thank you, Tonio. So, you've got something new up your sleeve. Yes, I'd say more that it's a new ambition. And the new ambition is based on the increased positive response from people to the new and better ways that we've found to express what it is that we're after. So Charles Eisenstein has this wonderful phrase, the better world you know in your heart is possible. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful phrase because people then wonder if they do know the better world. Or if they can imagine the better world, do they know in their heart that it's possible? Right. That seems to be That's the, the sticking point for most people, I think. Yes. Because they look at our political system and they throw their hands in the air and they go, this is hopeless or impossible. Well, what it sprung from is that in the middle of the summer, I got asked to be a Liberty Union candidate and I wasn't going to run again because of the disgust with how rigged the system is. But I was reading Gloria Steinem and I was feeling maybe after the election I can begin going door to door to begin to excite people about what's possible. So I accepted the the nomination and we began working. Nomination for what? For Liberty Union candidate for governor. For governor. And then then we got back into connection to do outreach together. And, of course, the press is, uh, has pre-selected me as a loser and the other independents as losers and pre-selected the, the winners. So we had that same dynamic. We haven't been able to sue our way in or get legislation our way in. And now we're beginning to see a public that is reaching outside of the box having more meetings with alternative leaders. And what I decided was that I'm just going to keep working through 2020. And then we began to see these meetings, uh, some of the meetings that you haven't been to, where people have been sitting in circle in sort of popcorn style where people will put out their concerns and then we start generating ideas. And this has evolved to an idea that we begin to do a what-do-you-want tour, engaging as many people as is willing to, to meet and to begin to open their hearts to what they truly desire and offering the knowledge that we have about how to get the money to do it. You say how to get the money to do it. Is it just about getting the money to do it? Democratizing money is probably the most important thing we can do to step into the new paradigm so that we're not bondaged to debt or ruled by the commercial banking industry. Okay, but there's another element. There's there's the element of the people who create policy, you know, our quote-unquote representatives. Right. Who do that kind of finagling work of using language to translate supposedly what the people want or what's in the best interest of mm-hmm. the body politic, mm-hmm. however you want to coin it. 
So how does that fit into this? Well, when we're uh, working towards a more horizontal system of self-governance, we're starting with needing a coalition just like they did with North Dakota a century ago, almost exactly, in order to get public money, money to do the things that we want. They had to get a coalition that agreed to run, and I learned this from John, who has taught me so much, who agreed to run just for the purpose of getting in office to bring a public money system. And from that, everything that the public wants and needs can spring. And after that, the two-party system, of course, that would never come together to provide public banking benefits from that public system. So uh, essentially we said we need to do that here in Vermont. Uh, We need to get a, a coalition to replace all the seats for the sole purpose of redefining how we circulate money in Vermont and increasing the means of exchanges so we can do these things. You see, changing all the seats? Yeah. Okay. So I've been on the trail of what is our true human nature for a really long time. And I've discovered in conversation with numerous, numerous people and many, many groups that the actual experience of who they are is that sense of self-responsibility and desire to be integrated, the desire to be able to act out of the ideals that one is trying to live one's life out of. That's the important thing. And the reason that you can't do that is what actually occupies people's minds. I know what it is that I really want to be doing. I do, deep down. I really do know what that is. And I can't do it because. And then there's this whole long list of things that are because. And when you pursue them, it comes down to the existential fear. If I am not doing the things that I need to do in order to have the money to live, then I'm going to be carless and homeless and, you know, in a mess, and I won't be able to live up to all my obligations. Now, the leap from I have to earn my living to that's why society is the way it is, right? That's a big leap for people because it's so intrinsic in their experience. It's just to give. It's the water that the fish are swimming in. Yeah, it's the water that you don't even see. Or the air that we're walking through. You know, you just don't consider it. So the thing that would really change everything is the really radical idea that governments are instituted among men to secure our inalienable rights, among which are life. Life, yeah, life. Liberty, that's important, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So if my life is secure, I'm at liberty to pursue happiness. In fact, if my life is secure, and I'm not worried about where I'm going to get the money so I can live, right, then I'd be free if I had the money. If I had an unearned income that was sufficient to take care of my basic, you know, all my normal needs, right, 
to participate in society, the median income, say, then I would be at liberty to do whatever I damn please. To pursue right? what may, what would make you happy, what right, would but, be fulfilling. But I would be free to do whatever I want. Exactly. Whatever I want to do. Yes. And when I say whatever I damn please, I'm trying to make that whole point, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You want to sit in front of TV all day and, you know, binge watch, go right ahead. Or if you're afraid yeah. that that's what, what, what society will do, then it's okay I, because I, eventually probably people will, will get bored of it or maybe they'll see something on TV that will inspire <laughs> them to do something more interesting. But they're at liberty. They're at liberty, exactly. And it's only, only by having that liberty <laughs> will you... Do you even have the, the chance yeah. to discover? Into it. Yeah. So what, what probably will happen is people will begin to say, oh, I can go out and make that sculpture with those rocks. I can spend a whole day doing it. I'm getting up to do that. Or I want to go and whittle this, or I want to paint this, or I want to build the next net zero house. You know, I can do it now. And people will be getting up with that lift in their step. And their excitement. And the other thing I I feel that I must bring into the conversation here that uh, we have talked about on the trail is that we're coming out of 5,000 years of patriarchy. And, you know, when governments are instituted for men, immediately all these like, oh, my God, you know, look what men have done and all the patriarchy is done. And the women's movement needs to come into balance. And the men can relax and lean on the leadership that women bring that is totally different. Or not be threatened by sharing power. Well, yeah, but trying to get at, if I were to try to verbalize the difference that the women's movement brings, it creates an environment, a fertile environment for us to grow into a fairness and a justice rather than, oh, this specific law will get us there, but rather an environment of allowing creativity, of allowing mercy, of allowing forgiveness, of of allowing a law of love to guide us rather than law and order per se, and to have faith that that guidance and that path will lead us to the more expanded sense of community and of joy of personal purpose. And the more beautiful world that we know in our heart as possible. That's that's what Charles Eisenstein is talking about in his new book, Climate, A New Story. He's talking about the only way we're going to actually be able to solve this climate crisis is through the paradigm of love, not through the paradigm of declaring war on climate change and doing the usual shell game of, well, you're burning this much coal, putting this much carbon into the atmosphere. We now have to balance that with this other quantifiable thing on on this scale, that that doesn't work Mm -hmm. because that's looking at life as a thing, as a mechanism that can be balanced mechanically and that that's the opposite of the way life works. Life doesn't... Doesn't work. work that way. So when we're we're bringing that to uh, lawmaking and and governmental systems, the idea that we have to tax or spend or get into debt to do our work are extremely blunt tools, and that's what John and I are bringing and you bring to the discussions is that we have all these other means to expand our ability to show that it's the 
services and the goods and the things that we can do that are valuable. And or it's the, it's the very things that make us happy, that yeah. fulfill us, yeah. that can be the engines of what's thought of as productivity in our world rather than the material goods that we've become accustomed to. Oh, absolutely. And the millennials are, you know, they see us all like, oh, we got to move all our stuff to a new storage unit. Oh, we got to, you know, you got to take care of old Aunt Susan. George Carlin did a whole routine <laughs> based on stuff. Yeah, right. Quite stuff. brilliant. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and they're more attuned so, into the, 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 just the being. Right, the being and, and, and living from love, from, from connecting with life yeah. and connecting to the things that are meaningful to us. Right, the, the bottom of Emily's campaign poster says, because I love you. And that's really what we're after. We're after that experience that the mother has of the unconditional love for the child and the interest in both wanting the child to be the way they want them to be and at the same time totally respecting their individuality. That's the dilemma that the mother is in all the time. What, what do I need to do so that this person can really be, this growing child can really become the man or woman that they really want to be? That's so, a beautiful way of putting it because what you're talking about is parents want the best for their children and they're wrestling with their old stories yeah. of what they believe to be best for the child with what the child wants and more enlightened parents are also aspiring to giving their children the space to become who they really are beyond what the parent can even conceive of. Right. And isn't that what we need in our political system as yeah. well? That's the point, that when the parents aren't worried about where their income is coming from, they have much more scope in what it is that they're offering their children. And when you feel very constrained, then you want them to get a good education and get into so that they can have a good job and, and, and earn enough money. And that's why it always comes back to this issue of the money. So if you were to receive a dividend at the beginning of the month so that you were free to do whatever it was that would make you happy. Mm -hmm. Then the question is, what would make me happy? Right. And Not what the you money. discover... Mm -hmm. Not right. the money. Mm -hmm. The money is right. out, of the out, of this, out of the yeah. picture. Because I don't need it. I've yeah. got it. That makes the most sense that that would be the responsibility of good governance. That well, governance yeah. provides yeah. the means for which the people can pursue life, liberty, and happiness. A absolutely. So when we look right. at our constitution that was written by white patriarchs, and we have people of color, indigenous peoples and women's who were not involved, and we look at those concepts of equality and of pursuit of happiness, what is equality if we don't measure it by an economic means to be able to participate with dignity in the economy? So because the women's movement and the entire movement that is trying to bring a balance from this, this sort of very sociopathic white patriarchy. Not all white people, but we know what we're talking yes. about, right? The old system. The old system of, of real well, the sickness. Powers the, the powers that be. The powers that thieve. The powers that thieve. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it's a sickness. It's a sickness. It's not a power. It's a sickness not to want the happiness in the least of us and the health of Right. 
So getting back to the money, so you're, you're talking about getting a dividend at the beginning of the month. It sounds like you're talking about the concept of whether you call it the universal basic income or guaranteed basic income. How do you see that happening or what do you see it being? So the, the universal basic income is a Trojan horse for the robotization of the economy. The idea that the government should pay a basic income to everybody has no effect, doesn't change anything in the, you know, the basic income will always be too little, you'll still always have to have a job, you'll still always have to do what people who have money want you to do. Nothing changes. If they set the basic income at 2000 or 3000 a month, are you saying that they would simply inflate the economy so that two or 3000 once again is worth $1,000? i am not saying anything except that it will never be adequate because it's not an objective number. When you so say it's not an need, objective number, that's what needs to be clarified. That's exactly right. That's what I'm after. So the economy that we all participate in, whether we're producers or distributors or consumers, we're all contributing to the economy. And whenever you listen to the marketplace on the radio or whatever, you know, they're always talking about the biggest element in the entire economy is the consumer spending. So they're always looking at consumer spending. And the idea is that it's the entrepreneurs that are producing the goods and services that are the really important part of the economy and they deserve all the wealth. And we have this experience that somehow consuming is not important, but it's actually the most important element in the whole economy. So why are we doing it? That Why are we thinking about it that way? So the reality is that if the individual people were sovereign and involved in making the decisions, right? Their experience of what unites them, the experience of what it is that we all have in common, is this desire to be able to live out of the inspiration of our spirit, of our essential self. And if that's the case, then everybody should be in a position where they participate in the overall productivity of the economy through a dividend. What is the dividend based on? Well, the dividend is based on the distribution of the profit. So right now, the profit is distributed completely and totally unreasonably, unfairly. The wealth discrepancy is so huge that it's criminal. The reason that it isn't actually criminal, the powers that be, the wealthy people, have appropriated the results of the work that everybody is doing, even if they're only consumers, for themselves. And that's what should be distributed. Now, it's an objective number. And that objective number, if it were equitably distributed, would give everybody an annual income somewhere between, according to Time magazine, $43,000 a year, according to me, about 120000 The difference comes from the fact that if you think about the wealthiest people as the ones on the Forbes 400 list, and then you wonder why Rockefeller and Rothschild and, you know, the other trillionaires aren't oh, on right. there, 
right? Well, it's because they control it all, and you know they have to disappear. The wealth discrepancy is so outrageous. So if everybody got a dividend income that was based on the overall profitability of the economy, then that would be an objective number. I want to get really clear about this. Does that mean that the corporations will then be sharing all their profits with everybody, or are we talking about something different from that? No, and I'm not talking about how to get from here to there. I'm talking about what happens when people are sitting together and thinking about how do we secure think, our rights? Yeah, but I think we do have to talk about the nuts and bolts. The nuts and bolts of that, because but, but we will. It's, <laughs> it's the principle that We've, we should all participate in the rewards or in the yes. profits, and there's a reason for that. And yes. the reason is that every honest, transparent, freely entered into exchange facilitated by money benefits both parties. So, with the number of exchanges that are happening in the course of a day, and a week, and a month, and a year. Benefiting both parties, we should all be increasingly better off. And there's something about the way that society is organized that means that the better off is not going to the 99%. It's actually going to the way less than 1%. Okay. Now, that's a criminal appropriation of human nature. The surplus that's generated by exchange is a direct result of our human nature. And the existing powers that be are appropriating that for their own benefit. So it's that basic idea that leads to the idea that there is a dividend from the economy that, were it equitably shared, would give everybody the right to a dividend income, whatever it is. Okay, so let me plug into this equation from my perspective, trying to sort things out. All of the people you know, in the 001% at the top who are currently reaping the spoils of this very elitist economic system would still get to keep their current wealth that they have at this point, but the ongoing spoils of the game would be distributed in a different way. How to get from here to there isn't what I'm concerned about. What I'm concerned about is the basic understanding of human nature out of which we would be able to come up with the equitable system. Okay. So and are you saying that you don't have an equitable system for accomplishing that? At this point, your no. concern is, is just getting everybody to recognize that this is what we need. And once yeah. we get, have everyone in agreement that this is possible and this is actually what we need and want, that then we yes. can all come together and figure out how to make it happen. Right, and the interesting thing is, is that all of the ideas and all of the institutions that we would actually need have existed at some point or other in our history. And, and both one of, the history of the United States and in the world history. So, for example, right. you brought up the common good credit that could be used, and that has a parallel in... Well, or at least somewhat of a parallel with colonial script from... Right. Yeah. Now, so, talk about how that compares, because yeah, if no, we can anchor it in... On. The in thing that I'm concerned about is that the tendency of Americans to be pragmatic and to want to go to the example. 
yes. that in some way encapsulates the ideal. Now I don't have to generate out of the ideal, out of the basic understanding of our human nature, right? Now I can fiddle with the concept, you know, with the practical application that somehow contains that idea. No, that's not what I want to do. What I really would like to do and what I believe would actually generate the kind of change and energy that we need is to really look into our hearts to discover what it is that we would really like to live our life out of. And once you've done that, once it's clear to you that you have a life's purpose, and that the most important thing in your entire life is to accomplish your life's purpose. All of the practical things, all of the institutions that we'll need in order to democratize money or in order to return the issuing power to the people, they all exist. They're all uh, actually implemented now in small ways. Have so. Or... Some of the Sparkhausen... Banks in okay. Germany are basically non-profit banks. But yeah. here, we're, we're well, it doesn't doesn't matter. the The model is the models are there. The, the model you mean you mean the models exist somewhere on this planet, right? But I'm talking about that people in our culture can connect to and relate to, right? So well, the most important thing is that they come to the experience of their sovereignty. And it's only when you have the experience of being responsible for the entire community or the entire state or the entire nation that you're in a position to use the sensibility that that gives rise to, to create institutions that would actually serve us. I can totally relate to that. One of the inviting things about the idea of being governor is to be able to create a budget and a different budget. For example, we are spending $74 million or so, I believe, to send people out of state to prison. We are taxing for schools. And we could be, if and when we are ready to get out of this box of tax and spend, we can look at some of the methods that we've used historically, for example, where people were able to provide service in exchange for the end of taxation. And if we were able to not be serving the profit of prisons and instead having the nonviolent people in the community and able to hire mentors from the community, thereby circulating money within the community again and use a broader restorative system along with ankle bracelets or, or whatever non-caged response to you know, to keep the society safe, we will be able to circulate money differently and end taxation in certain places and have a better outcome. So one of the exciting ideas about being governor is to propose a budget that reallocates our monies in a way that empowers communities better rather than continuing to serve either a for-profit pharma, for-profit prison system, and so on and so forth. I can relate to the prison thing, but how would a governor at the top state level be involved in determining what local communities are needing and creating within their own communities? And how can somebody sitting at the top have any connection to all of that? 
Well, what's interesting is the communities know what they need. The people who... They can know if they come together and figure that out. Well, yeah. I mean, the people who are in the subsets of the community know what they need. The people who are serving, let's say, the food shelf knows that we need X amount of food or X amount of this or 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 the people we're serving the kids on we know we need a bigger budget to do x y and z and they can develop the budget rather than the reverse they can come to the government well this is what we need this is how much we need to do the work that is good and then you as the executive of the state work determine or or propose a budget propose a budget and then the purpose of having a coalition that understands that we need to democratize money in other words every dollar that we're using isn't coming from indebting ourselves to commercial banking therefore okay so so obviously the debt money issue is a big part of this as well and also not farming out our local needs to out-of-state or large corporations trying to keep it at the level of the common people. Right. The people know what their needs are and how do we fulfill them. And how can we as members of the community fulfill them? Does the community need one in four people to be a felon? Do you need a one in four of you to be a felon in order to be a whole community? I think that that undermines the community. Exactly. 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 And is that what we have in this state? Yeah, it is what we have in the state. And 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 about ninety percent are nonviolent. We have about three hundred and fourteen thousand behaviors that have been criminalized by uh, lawmakers, you know, Mm -hmm. through the times and But this is where I end up coming back to the people who are sitting in these these houses of legislatures who are creating these laws that keep us cycling, vicious cycling back into these pickles and and compounding them. Yep. So it's more than just the money is is one of the cornerstones, but that's another cornerstone. It is. It is. And and certainly... I'm I'm pointing out that the, the important thing from my point of view is that money is politics. Politics is always all about what are you going to issue and allocate money for. So we don't issue and allocate money. Okay. Banks issue and allocate money. Let me ask you a question then. Is politics also what we each individually want in our hearts? Of course. Yes. Yes. That's, because, that's, because, that's, 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 that's what I'm trying we, to get we, at. We, I know. We, and we, that's, that's what I'm trying to anchor in this conversation. Yes. Let's clarify this notion. We've got one cornerstone here, money. We know that's a key issue in this. We have our representatives. They are a cornerstone in this equation. And we have this other cornerstone. Maybe it's not the cornerstone. Maybe it's actually the rest of the foundation being what people really want in their heart. Is there anything else missing from this equation? Yes, there is something big missing. Okay. Our legislators may have more integrity than we... Uh, even speak of, they only make what about twenty or twenty-five thousand. No, what we have is an enormous bureaucracy that has a better standard of living than the people that are supporting it. So, and what happens is the legislature may pass a law and they send it over to the bureaucracy to, to promulgate rules, and then the bureaucracy is not following the law and they're creating rules that are, and they're much more stable and entrenched than the legislature. So we have sort of a tail wagging the dog 
problem in Vermont where we have twice as expensive taxes and half as many people as you know our neighbor to the east. So, so then the other factor is is the actual political system or the way it's actually run. We have the legislators who are presumably acting in the public good, but then what they're creating is filtering through a whole nother system yeah. of government that... Right, the bureaucracy. See, I don't know how all this works, but it sounds like what you're saying is that the intentions of our representatives who represent our intentions or our desires is then being co-opted by a system, a bureaucratic system that has its own agenda. That's or very has its own. Yeah. Okay. Let me throw out probably a very simplistic notion and then you can work with that or from it. Let's say we know that in our national economy, money is lent into the economy through the banking system. So the banks are essentially given all the money to lend into the system. And they profit from all the money that flows through their hands. So they're skimming that. That becomes the basis for the need for taxation of the rest of us. What if instead of giving all the money to the banks to distribute into the economy the way they do it at a profit, what if we give all the money to the people knowing that they will spend it into the economy and we do it without there being any interest? Right. Mm-hmm. How would that fit into well, this? The, the problem that we're up against is the experience that people have of the immutability of the system. In other words, the idea that banks are issuing money is foreign. The banks have kept that a big secret. You explain it to people and they get it when you explain it to them and then they forget it. The extent to which we're propagandized altogether. So from my point of view, it's only when we're sitting in a circle, right, talking to each other face to face, that we actually discover something about who we really are, what we have to do with each other, and what it is that we really want. At the moment that that begins to become clear, and you also have the political power to issue the money to accomplish what it is that you've agreed we want, why we've all agreed that this is what we want. Now, if we have to go somewhere else for the money, they have to agree that we want that. Or that it's good. They set the terms by which they give it to us. So we need to be in a position to create, to issue the money. As soon as we're in a position to issue the money to accomplish the things that we agree would be good in our town, we're also responsible for regulating the money supply. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with John Root and Emily Payton. And this is the Magical Mystery Tour on WGDR Plainfield and WGDH Hardwick, Goddard College Community Radio.
What I'm trying to do is get to that place where one recognizes that it's in the nature of. So mm. whenever you're doing something that's in the nature of, you can have a genuine confidence that it'll be good for everyone. Just so that you know what I'm talking about. There's a phrase in African tribes called Ubuntu. And there are lots of ways of translating Ubuntu. One way is, you are because I am, I am because you are. Another way of translating Ubuntu is, if it's not good for everyone, it's no good at all. Okay? So you can see how those two things relate to each other. What we're trying to get to is the actual Ubuntu of the situation that we're in. The actual Ubuntu of the situation that we're in is that society is made up of the initiatives that individuals take out of their inspired life purpose, which is the desire to put their particular interests, their particular talents, their particular ambitions, their particular sensibilities into the service of their community. And that is the fundamental thing in the sociology that we're somewhat all familiar with. There are two basic social forces. One is egoism. And egoism is the thing that's in the forefront all the time. So egoism is the social phenomenon of the human motivation to take care of oneself and one's dependent. So I need to, out of my egoism, I need to make sure that I'm able to do all the things that I feel called to do to provide for myself and my family and my children and what have you. And it's based on the what's in it for it's, me. It's Yes, it is the what's in it for me. So that that question, is this transaction advanta sufficiently advantageous, right? So then the second socially active motivation, social force actually, is altruism. And altruism is denigrated and played down and turned into egoism by the existing powers that be in the propagandizing. But altruism is way more powerful a force than egoism is because it is that thing that engages you. It's the desire to place my... It's the, it's the reason Emily wants to run for governor. The altruism, which is the desire to accomplish one's purpose in life, to serve the transcendent purpose that one feels called to serve, and to be able to do it the way you want to do it, and be able to develop your capacity to do it. That force, that altruistic force, is what we need to put into the forefront of the entire political process. So our aim in money is politics, money is politics, is to put every individual into a position where that's their only concern, where the thing that they're concerned about is how I spend the money that I receive from my community, right? so that I'm able to take care of myself and my dependents, so that I am in a position to dedicate my life to the transcendent purpose I feel called to serve. Then everything that happens in society is a result of an individual's inspired initiative. And at that moment where you recognize what it is you want to do, you know that there is an objective amount of money that you need, capital up front, in order to put yourself in a position to organize the world in order to accomplish that thing. At that level, 
everything needs to proceed from that understanding of our human nature. That's where everything needs to proceed from. You use the term altruism, but in a community where everybody recognizes that who they are is in direct relation to everybody around them. And when people recognize that, that if it isn't good for everybody, it's not good for them as well. The environment, the planet has to be included in that equation. You were talking about coming into circles and talking about what it is that we really want. And that's the biggest challenge that we face because we've never had that opportunity. And everybody has always told us over and over again since we were a child, it doesn't matter what you want, it's what has to be. Yeah. (laughs) And it does matter what we want. It does matter. not Not only does it matter what we want, but it's absolutely essential because if we don't fully identify and acknowledge and honor what we want, mm-hmm. then we're zombies yeah. wandering around <laughs> yes. a wasteland. Yes, yes. Dead wage slaves. Going yes. nowhere. Yes, yes. At doing, great expense. Doing the bidding of a very destructive people. We're actually serving so, the destruction of the world. Right. So that's the thing that I'm concerned about, that the process whereby you come into a relationship to yourself and to the people in the community where you live that allows you to even ask the question, what do we want, is the process of identifying who you are first. So the, the most important thing that happens in the group when we ask the question, well, who are you? Right? So if you ask me who I am, ask me who I am. Who are you? Right. So now I have to think for a moment, and I need to think about we also what's have to the feel. important... Yeah, you have, have to, to feel inside. Yeah, you have not to just feel. thinking, because when we That's think, right. all we're doing is reflecting yeah. on our past. Yeah. And, right. and this so, is what's so interesting <laughs> about the matriarchy coming into balance, is that the patriarchy has developed a system of numbing. How about instead of talking about matriarchy and patriarchy, let's talk about feminine and masculine aspects of... We may have outer appearance of being men and women, but we are enlivened. We are energized by masculine and feminine energy, and we need to find a way to express those energies in ways that are in alignment with who we truly are from the inside out. And that means we have to go inside and feel who we are, and we have to sift through all the crap that we've learned about ourselves or been told that we are and that we have to do so that we can eventually get down through all the onion layers down to who it is that we essentially are underneath it all. Mm -hmm. And from that place, then we can relate to everybody else. Does Does that include allowing men to feel where they've been? Men have to feel. Yeah. And, and, and encouraging do. them to. I mean, it's just. No, men have to. Fe- men, men are, are roughly half of the population of the human species. Mm-hmm. Men have to go inside and feel into what it is that they most deeply want. Right. And they can do it on a moment by moment basis and a broad it basis. It has to be so on a moment it, by moment yeah. basis because everything changes. What we want changes. Everything is evolving it's shifting it's changing so the answer is from moment to moment is from your feeling place say oh you have choice every moment to moment i can choose to go here i can choose to be pissed off here i can choose to think about this from every choice forward and as many as we can discipline ourselves to do yes choose the more pleasing feeling based upon what it is that's alive inside of us in this moment. And included in the balancing of male and masculine and female, we also have to balance 
the, the heart and the mind and the body because it's not just about feeling about what we want on that level. Gurdjieff called us the three-brained beings, and modern neuroscience is totally recognizing that we essentially have three brains because we, have, we actually have more neurons in our gut than we liver. do in our head. Yeah. But our heart is actually the central regulator or translator of all of it. Yeah, isn't that interesting? But one cannot function separately of all the rest. So we have to integrate it all. We have to integrate masculine, feminine. We have to integrate the heart, mm -hmm. the intellect, and the gut, the body, the whole nervous system, because the nervous system is brain, heart, body, right, right. everything. So, and what you're talking about is being an energetic being. A whole being, which is the way we have to envision our planet as a whole being. Yeah. And we have to treat the planet as a whole being, just as we as human beings, we have to think of ourselves as whole beings and not cut out tonsils, not cut out appendixes, <laughs> well, because doctors at some point thought they were irrelevant. They couldn't yes. see any function for them, well, so you know, or wisdom teeth or yep. things like that. Before you jump back in, or is the control mechanism the powers that thieve? I will always call them the powers that thieve, not the be, because that's reinforcing that they are powerful when it actually it is our relationship to our desires where the real power is. So when we're talking about the control that religion and government has exerted, it's been a great deal about initiating fear, fear of death and the ideas of death. When actually energetic beings and can never be destroyed. So we don't need to be manipulated that way. We can have the courage that our existence is always changing, always remanifesting itself, always. That's always true. So in relation to that fear of death arises all those concepts like scarcity and competition, mm -hmm. which is what our present economy mm -hmm. and paradigm is based on. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the thing that I'm concerned about is to get to the experience that allows you to feel genuinely sovereign, able to be responsible. So once I've gone into the feeling of who I am, and I represent that in the group, and all the other people in the circle are also representing something about who they really are. And there's a, it's from a general to a specific. So the general thing that I am is, well, I'm a father and I'm a husband and I'm a son and I'm, you know, all those things and I'm a this and a that. But then it becomes more and more specific and it has much more to do with the thoughts that you have, the inclination that you have, the skills that you've developed. I mean, somebody might say that, you know, I'm a thinker, I'm a visionary. The thing that animates me is imagining the better world that we actually all know in our hearts is possible. That's what animates me. Mm -hmm. Now, once that's living in that circle, right, then the question is, okay, what do I have to do with you? What do you have to do with me? Now, I like listening to your relationship to the thing that you're so enthusiastic about. I enjoy the way in which I feel when I listen to you. It's interesting when you look back on your education, unless you're using something that you learned in school ongoing, 
you don't remember all right. the stuff you learned. But what you do remember is the relationship that you had with the various teachers yes. and how they, and, and also classmates, but primarily with the teacher and the relationship that they had with the subject that they were teaching you. And once I came on to this idea and I've thought about it, I have lots and lots and lots and lots of examples where that's actually true. It's the relationship of the teacher to their subject that is the thing that makes the impression and helps you to become who you eventually become. And that process of coming into relationship with each other, what do I have to do with you, what do you have to do with me, that's what prepares the ground. And we need to go around. We need to go around the circle. We need to ex have this experience of everybody saying something about their relationship to each other. And also talking and, about what's alive in them. Yeah, what's alive in what's them. Alive. That's so the, that, what I so really that we can see the honoring that, that the person the, across yes. the room from us is well, not just this this bag of bones <laughs> and skin, <laughs> but a living, breathing, that's alive in fully alive being, just like we feel inside of ourselves. Well, Tony, that's you're, right. you're, so you're, the, you're encapsulating our our desires so well. You've given us the what we want tour and the, the question, what's alive in you? I mean, it's putting into semantics that connect, that people can yeah, uh, well, recognize. Yes, well, Marshall so Rosenberg w was that's right. used the language of what's alive in us and how can we contribute to life and how can we support each other in this great dynamic yes. of living life in a way that makes life wonderful for each other. Mm -hmm. Right. So the last thing that happens, once we've gone around the circle honoring each other, because that's really what it is, appreciating and honoring and respecting and, and eliciting, you know, the genuine sort of joy in the, in the experience of the other, right? You see, it's when we've gone through that, I know who I am, I have some real positive sense of what I have to do with each other. It's at that moment that you're able to actually ask the question, what do we want? Yeah, what do we want? What do we, this group that's now had this experience together, what do we want? Now, it's a very different question. The, the significance of the question is very, very different. If you know that you will, as a matter of right, as a matter of Ubuntu, as a matter of the nature of things, be able to fund what it is you agree you want. It's that experience at that moment that you recognize that that's what politics is, issuing the money for what you want. I, every yep. one of us is now the king. So it's as radical as I described it. Yep. We're in a position to manifest what it is that we want. Why? Because we can issue the money for it. Mm. And the concomitant to that, which is has to be in the same sentence, it absolutely has to be in the same sentence, we are then collectively also responsible for regulating the money supply. Mm -hmm. In other words, for making sure that it's always grounded. And that it works for and everybody. And that it works for everybody. Yeah. So yes. I am in a position to enable everybody in that circle to be who they really want to be and do what it is that we agreed we want, right, to contribute to it. So the and each thing, person is like that. Right, and each person, each person. Is, right, that, that's each person. So your experience of the community is the ability that you have to respect the difference. 
So rather than looking for the commonality, you know, what do we all agree with in forming some sort of church congregation kind of thing around a catechism or a, or a dogma or what have you, we're discovering that it's the appreciation of the difference of each of us that is actually creating the community. And the right to the capital that your capacities warrant is the thing that we can all agree to. Everyone has a right to bring that spirit to manifestation. And we can secure that right because we can issue the money to fund it as long as everyone recognizes that we're also responsible for regulating the money supply. So it's actually an integration of both the recognition because yes. the basic equality is based on the sameness that we all share, but it has to equally honor and appreciate and fully respect the individuality. Well, that's the whole trick to the thing. What it is that we have in common is the rights that we grant to each other. And the difficulty that we have has to do with the we can't afford it. In other words, we everybody can agree that everybody should have the money they need to live, but we can't afford that. And nobody would do anything. And all this stuff comes up that's just crap. Right. Or, or when that, you get to the you can't do that because you can't do you have to go out and get or, a job or, or that yeah. you know these people are dependent on the welfare system I got to pay for it and they're bad people because all, the, all that stuff. all that crap we're going to get there by Ubuntu the thing that each of those people is doing to realize there is either going to be transforming nature into something useful and that something useful becomes independent of them and can have a price. Or they're going to be doing something to execute something that we've all agreed needs to be done that has something to do with our rights or governance or what's normally considered the executive function. We've localized the legislative and the judicial function in the circles, okay? And then there's all these executive things that need to happen. So they're doing something in that nature, making sure that the air is clean, you know, pulling the people together in order to clean up the mess, whatever it is. And then the last thing is all of the things that are totally dependent on you as an individual that have to do with culture, the preacher or the artist or the singer or the musician or the playwright or the player or the actor or the all of the things that, uh, that have to do with creating the culture. And each of those things is very, very dependent on who you are. And it's the goods and services that have independent existence. The fixed car. The car, right? The whatever it is. The food. The restaurant meal. Whatever it is. Those are the things that we're buying and selling. And they're actually generating the surplus that takes care of all the things that we agreed need to be taken care of by the bureaucracy. Right? And... It's still generating enough money to support the entire culture. All of the things that just consume value. What do you need in order to be a musician? What do you need in order to be whatever? You need the tools. You need the theater. Or you need the art supplies. You need the studio. You need. It's all consumption. It's all just what it is that you need to spend money on in order to be able to create something that we don't want to put a value on. We don't want to put a price on it. I mean, we have to in the existing system because everything is monetized. But of its nature, it's something that's coming out of you 
and who you are, not the thing that you created that has the independent existence, or the thing that we all agreed needs to be done and regulated. So the actual exchange of goods and services is generating sufficient profit to pay for the entire bureaucracy and the entire culture. That is what needs to be recognized and regulated so that the value flows properly. The goods and services is value for value, generates a surplus with every exchange. The bureaucracy, the governance, the things that we need to make sure happen the way that they need to happen, you know, it's more implementing the rules, carrying out the project, doing whatever it is like that. That's what's normally taken care of with taxation. Don't need taxation. And the last phase of it is all the things that need to support the culture. So we're in a position from the nature of things, which is what I'm trying to get at, that there is a nature to this whole thing that just needs to be recognized. And then once you've recognized it, the way that you administer it is completely transparent. That was a mouthful, but at least I got the whole concept out. Mm -hmm. Now, let me poke into this. You talked about from all the transactions come a surplus to pay for the bureaucracy and the governments. What if, instead of talking about it in that way, we recognize that as a community, we create the money supply we need to fund everything that we need? Because surplus implies that we're creating more than what needs to be. Yep, you're exactly right. Uh, no, the, yeah, the exchange right. process, human nature generates the surplus. We're all increasingly I, I, better off. I get that point. So instead of using the term surplus, just acknowledging that, that we all benefit, or in yeah. this ideal system that you're talking about, everyone benefits from these transactions, these exchanges that we're all engaged in coming from the place of who we most truly are. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with John Root and Emily Payton, and this is the Magical Mystery Tour on WGDR Plainfield and WGDH Hardwick, Goddard College Community Radio. Stay with us. More, more of this interview to come.
people are looking to the Danish and Nordic systems as, oh, that's where they know how to live. They take care of each other. Oh, but they tax each other so high in order to do that. However, there's a more evolved model where taxation never needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the American experiment with a two-party system was then expanded upon in other places, Canada and other places that have parliamentary systems. And those systems are, you know, where we have see socialism, which many people may or may not want. And so one of the fears that they may not want it for is because the government is demanding such a high level of taxation in order to give these services. So when we're coming back and the ball is in our court and we need to renegotiate our terms of society, including the women's input about what nurturing is and so forth, we can go to a place where we never need to have oppression by taxation. We're not there now. Obviously, we have to parse out the steps to get there. The way that you manage the money supply, the way that the process happens, is always a matter of our collective judgment. So it arises quite naturally out of the experience of discussing what it is that we want, what it is that we need to pay for, and the level at which we need to pay for it, right? So if it's, a, if it's something that requires considerable expertise and, you know, those skills are in particular demand, we're going to agree to pay more for it than we would if it was offering our labor, you know? So the way in which we manage the money supply is what's now happening through individual taxation. It wouldn't be. It would be, this is what we need to allocate this money for. This is what we need to allocate this money for. And if everybody is taken care of right from the beginning because they're getting the dividend from the overall equitable distribution of the productivity of the the profit, right? then all the other allocations that we need to make are also collective decisions. And whatever is good for everyone is good for the individual. Whatever is good for the individual is good for everyone. So you're able to do that. Can I throw in another thing that may not be relevant to this, but let's say at the end of the month you have extra money. Just this notion of extra money could accumulate into this notion of, ooh, I have extra money, starting, starting to create a whole new notion of desiring right. accumulation when you have a system that, from which you don't need to do that. Is there a way that, like, Charles Eisenstein loved to talk about negative interest money to prevent the hoarding. accumulation of money, the it's, hoarding of money. Yeah, the, the economic term is hoarding. Hoarding, right. I'm wondering, does that issue have any relevance in this? Um, The experience that you have of being able to come to a community judgment based on our healthy human relationship, that, that I know who I am, I know what I have to do with you, we've agreed that this is what we want. That experience means that I am now responsible for my entire community and I need to do what it is that would be good for the entire community. That will take generations. In other words, if you grow up 
in a society where everybody is just interested in who are you really and, and, and what do you want to become and what are, what are you going to want to dedicate your life to. And you're growing up in an atmosphere where your education is a matter of pursuing all of those interests and trying everything out. So you get to that place where you're entering your majority and this, okay, so what do you want to, I don't know what I want to dedicate my life to yet. Or this is what I want to dedicate my life to, right? I mean, it's somewhere in, but I have no idea, right? Or this is what I want to do. This is how much money I need. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going for it. Or even I want to find out a little bit over here, or I want to experiment. Right, so everything between those two extremes. When you've grown up in that atmosphere of genuine empowerment what you got from your mother and to a certain extent from your father too talking in general terms it can be totally the other way around in any individual instance but mom wants you to be happy and dad wants you to be successful right so somewhere in there so the point is that your capacity to do what it is that would benefit everyone, that it would be good for your community, is the most exciting, motivating thing. How you get to that experience is the key to the whole thing. How do you get to that experience? Well, you get to that experience by learning more and more about yourself and becoming more and more integrated. Integrating your head, your heart, and your hands is the you know, one way to to describe it, so that everything is in the service of your spiritual growth, so to speak, the transcendence in the Maslow hierarchy of needs, or in the, I mean, there's so much work on this, the colors, you know, the, what's his name, Beck, and, and, uh, um... You're talking about Wilbur? Yeah, Wilbur. And, I mean, there's so much... I'm not endorsing Wilbur or not endorsing Wilbur or Beck or any of these people. What I'm saying is that there's so much available that that experience of the community relying on me, right, to, to, to be who I really am, that's what obviates all of those things. It completely obviates all of the... Right. Yeah. There. But as you said, it, you, it'll take, from where we are now, it'll, it'll take generations yeah, to get there. But the question was, is a system like this, are we going to have to deal with uh, certain people hoarding and getting more money than other people? Even in a system that we're talking about where everybody gets a dividend and there are some people who need more money to develop their vision. So let's say you want to build the Taj Mahal. You can't do it with or a, a, mar- a rocket right. to Mars. Or, or if you want to, if you want to have a, a gorgeous, uh, you know, a golden, golden toilet, toilet that you get, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. whatever it is. And then there's going to be some people who really want to be next to nature. There's going to be striations of what people feel comfortable with. What and, they feel they need. Right. And again, mm. when we come back to the community and we we are able to assess what each other is doing and say that, yes, that's good. I see what your uniqueness is and it makes me feel good. But when it gets to someone who is, let's say, have hoarded, have saved their... So now they've got a big pile and they say, I want to go out and I want to make a Monsanto Roundup and spray it on, you know. Then the community, because they're much more involved, 
in what's going on than, than, than currently, then they have the ability to say, you might you want to use it in a good way or you, this way doesn't feel good. I get that. Yeah. What I was sort of thinking was more on the lines of, let's say you have somebody who loves living out in nature and doesn't have any need for all the money right. and, and it's just accumulating. Instead right. of it so. just sitting and, and not being used and, and being out of the flow, the velocity yeah. of, okay. of the economy, that there would be a yeah. mechanism by which the excess or, let's say, the majority of the excess could be funneled into let's say, the needs of somebody who has a more ambitious desire, like somebody who wants to build a it's rocket. Digital, so remember, it's the infinite. Thing, it's the digital. thing that's important here is to get back to the nature of the situation. At the moment that everybody is at liberty to do whatever they damn please, everything that happens in society is the initiative of an individual or a cooperative or a group of people or whatever of what we want. So if you want a gold-plated toilet and you can't make the gold-plated toilet yourself can you find somebody who out of their life purpose wants to make you a gold-plated toilet then go right ahead and if you can't well then you can't have it right because it doesn't belong to that acting out of the spirit this is really important but I i want to give you a different example to work from and that is the one of building a rocket to Mars, which would cost a huge, tremendous amount of money and let you plug well, that it, one. Well, in. exactly. So part of the reality of the situation is that as soon as I'm wanting to do something that goes beyond my capacities, I need to inspire all the other people to cooperate with me. To the extent that I can succeed in doing that, we're going to build a rocket to Mars. Right. Unless the community is said... See, that's it. Unless the community you just said is said, you just said we it. don't want right. a rocket to Mars. Exactly. And then my task is to create the enthusiasm which that may I take have time. for the... And right, which might take a while. Yeah. So the thing is that our experience of what it is that we want to do is actually much more about cooperating with somebody who's inspired us than it is about doing what I want to do. Yeah. And it's back to the Ubuntu. It, it, that's it's the Ubuntu. That, yeah. It's yeah. the recognition. It's the mutual recognition of who we are as individuals, as part of a collective, but not sacrificing ourselves to the collective. It's, it's the mutual integrity of all. And Dan Siegel, who I just recently interviewed, he created the term Mui. Mui. Yeah. There's, yeah. The, there's the I... And then there's the we, but there's also a we which doesn't negate or lessen either the I or the we. That actually makes them the sum greater than the sum of the parts. If we come back to what we're experiencing as a people in our current political climate, we're experiencing that we're having taxes taken from us and we're seeing an executive branch that is doing horrendous things ripping families apart, jailing whistleblowers who are telling us the truth, or spending money on bombing people that we aren't even at war on. So we're seeing these things happen, and that is the outrage that we're faced with, is that we want something different. But the reality is is that we have to begin to ask that question, what do you want? We have to encourage people in the public to begin to talk and think like we're doing so that 
as they said in the American Revolution, it was won because it was won in their hearts before they even stepped foot on the battlefield. So here we are, and to have this conversation of being able to imagine and have the tools and the ways to get to that more honoring of each other and to end the dishonorable relationship that we have with the activities of our executive branch or our politicians. Or our dysfunctional society. Yeah. Right. So one of the things that the whole thing raises is, okay, well, how are we going to make decisions together? And the technology for how to make decisions together goes all the way back to the Enlightenment. And it's important to recognize that then all of the things that we need in order to make decisions together, which is where representative democracy comes from, where, you know, the ideas behind the Constitution and separation of powers and all of that stuff comes from, only those things that served the elite or the banking cartel were actually implemented. So if you imagine a jural assembly, The idea that uh, justice is a result of the judgment of your peers, right? So let's forget about the law. Let's do what makes sense. You have violated this tenet of our community, right? We need to restore justice. Or this restore is, the this balance. That you, yes, this that you heal, did. We need to heal the community. The trust. Yeah, right. This that you did, right, was a violation of the justice. Yeah, right. So your little community, the hundred, of which maybe ten people are willing to meet on a regular basis, they can fulfill the judicial, which is discovering what would be just, what would be the restorative thing, they can carry out the legislative, what would be good for everyone, and they can carry out the executive, how do we accomplish this that we agreed would be good. And they can collaborate with all the other wards around them. And those wards can collaborate with the town. And the town you mean can sharing information so that everybody can learn from yes. each other's successes and mistakes or yes. whatever. Mm-hmm. And to take on the larger projects. I mean, you, okay. don't, mm-hmm. you don't just build the road through your little community. Right. You build the you road. Coordinate. To, yeah, to coordinate and collaborate. Right. But so if the yeah. idea is that yeah. these rural assemblies, these little communities that have the full responsibility are collaborating with the other jural assemblies and you keep the sovereignty within your jural assembly with the individual and then the jural assembly is a sovereign so what's the word you, you jural jural okay the, the group that chooses the jury of your peers gotcha. and Clarify. maintains the jury pool right because yeah. the original idea is that the jury is responsible for two things determining the facts and the justice of the law. Right. Now, at the moment that you dispense with the law so that we can do what makes sense, okay, so maybe there are a lot of laws that have something to do, okay, the Ten Commandments are fine, or, you know, whatever you want to take. But whatever it is that we do in our jural assembly needs to make sense. It needs to be the Ubuntu right. principle, right? right? Right. So we're able to come up with the creative solution 
that allows that person to become more integrated. Integrated between their own head, heart, and hands, and integrated into the community. Nice. Now, if that sovereign jural assembly collaborates with other sovereign jural assemblies, and I'm talking about how do we go about governing ourselves, right? In order to accomplish the things that would be good for the town, the city, the county, the state, the nation. And if I recognize that anything can originate at any level, the one little jural assembly here has got this guy in it who has this idea for the nation. Well, it can go all the way up the line. Girl. Thank you. Female. Mother. Yeah, yeah, it's just so automatic, the, isn't it? The, the girls talk about the being guys, too. So it I really agree is. that it's very difficult to overcome the patriarchal meme that we're all part of. And I, like I make the that I make that effort. So the Mui, one of the people in the Jural Assembly, has this idea that it would be good for the nation. It goes all the way up to the nation, comes all the way back to the Jural Assemblies, and boom, it's done. Mm-hmm. It was just a brilliant idea. Anyway... What I'm getting at is that the experience of the individual being in charge of or responsible for the entirety, that experience is what it is that governs. Yes. It's my ability to take the entirety into account and to bring what I am doing into harmony with that experience right. and, and so that it serves that experience of what would be good for all. That's the sentiment out of which we govern. In the actual situation of sitting together, the key to the whole thing is that we totally hear from everyone. You cannot run over each other. We really do have to hear from each of us. Well, I think there's a huge challenge in that. I mean, because I am fairly unique amongst uh, women in that I was brought up in a woman's household with a gay mother. So I, you know, I never really... Uh, learn to submit to men and often you know you'll you'll see these circles where women won't speak up they just aren't used to it you know they aren't they haven't come into practice for it so part of you know what is going to have to happen is you're going to have to ask you know what do you have to say sarah what do you have to say you know it's going to have to be a request and more than an invite and urging because too often you know we get all passionate we can go on all day and there's somebody quiet over there now what i wanted to say is that running for governor and i've i haven't gotten money and you know i haven't been interested in being a governor in the system that we have what we're talking about is what i'm interested in becoming a part of so how do we get from here to there the practical steps to get from here to there is what excites me and that's what makes it so challenging to step up as an activist in a gubernatorial election in order to excite people about an enormously profound and beautiful shift of what we can do and to and to give people the courage i mean to inspire the courage and when what we're doing now seems absolutely doomed and scarier and destructive than expanding into this new way of or old new way of of being in community together in a much more loving and caring and and exciting way and that sounds like a great place to end 
Can I say one more thing? Because, because I wanted to finish the sociocracy okay. piece. Yes. So when Emily says that you have to encourage everybody to, to contribute to the conversation, the reason is that the wisdom that each person has, that individuality, is what's needed in order to create something that's good for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. You can't create something that's good for everyone if it doesn't include where everybody is coming from. Right, what it is that they're that they consider important. So we're back to the nature of things. In the nature of things, whatever it is that we're agreeing to needs to be made up of what everybody brings. So most people are going to, as you go around the circle, will say, "Well, yeah, that's a good idea. I like that idea. That corresponds with this, that, and the other thing that I also believe in." And then somebody is going to say, "No, I can't go along with that." And as soon as you get into why it is that they can't go along with that and incorporate the objection into the proposal, right, so that the proposal is taking account of their perspective, then you actually are able to get to that place where everything that we agree to is easy to consent to. And part of the way that you do it, in other words, we're all consenting to this because we all can see that it serves everyone. So at that moment where you can say, okay, this proposal is good enough for now, and it's actually safe enough to try, and we'll evaluate it this way in this period of time, right? You have a governance system, a unicameral, a unified, not separated powers, although you recognize the historical significance of separating the powers so that you can recognize the difference. And we now have an integrated system of governance called sociocracy that will actually get us there. And in order to take us to that place where all of this is practical, as soon as Vermont is doing business as the state of Vermont, because money is politics, and it's issuing the money for the things that the state has, through the Dural Assembly, the Ward Republic that I've just described before, as soon as they're allocating that money that way for those good reasons and distributing the surplus, because it was the state that invested in this, that, or the other thing, no different from what's going on now, believe me. I know it's hard to show the extent of the public investment, but it's the federal debt is $21 trillion. The second piece that's really the practical thing that makes all of this totally possible that already exists. So we have a Bank of North Dakota, we know how to do it, and we have a common good payment system, we know how to do it. So the tools that we need in order to implement what we've been talking about exist and can easily be adopted. And rather than sure. thinking of others as powerful and oppressive, let's understand that any place where we see somebody who doesn't want the good of all, that's a sickness. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Tonio. We appreciate this very much. I do especially. You're welcome. Good I, questions. I love your perspectives. Yeah, yeah we're working on our meetings. white papers of yeah. how all this works. And my next one is the governance thing. This is a great conversation. Thank so you, So thank you, John Root and Emily Payton. Thank you, Tony.
And that was John Root and Emily Payton. John Root is a visionary social architect and co-founder of Common Good, a nonprofit, non-bank financial institution for social change and community empowerment. Emily Payton is a former Liberty Union candidate for governor. To find out more about Common Good, check out commongood.earth online. That's commongood.earth. We'll be having more conversations like this with John Root and probably Emily Payton as well about the unfolding and evolving of this new paradigm, this new political and economic paradigm that they are collaborating on, brainstorming on, and envisioning for the common good. That's about it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, have a wonderful week.